Well, everyone, welcome to Commerce Party. We have a very special guest with us today. Making his podcast debut is Mr. Ryan Murr from Human Element. Ryan, how are you today, sir? Awesome. Great to talk, great to, talk to you. Great to see you again. Absolutely. It's, you know, you're one of the people that, you know, I would see and talk to on a regular basis, you know, and you're one of the people that, you know, I was often, you're like, I wonder what Ryan's up to. (laughs) It's always imagine, right? We'd sit down and figure out like, Hey, what's the world doing, dude? We got a lot to catch up on. Yeah. There's a lot. There's been a lot going on in our world. We keep growing. I think you guys keep growing. The industry keeps changing its own. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so let's start with that. So tell the people who you are, what you do and what, and what the company does. Yeah. So I'm Ryan Muir, Director of Business Development at Human Element, a digital commerce agency based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and really specifically um, on Adobe. We do some work with Shopify and big commerce, but our primary work is on Adobe Commerce or Magento too. So we do, you know, primarily new builds and, and support for for those, and also those services that go along with it. So we can do SEO and digital marketing and creative and all the other kind of ancillary services that kind of support e-commerce as well. Have you been picking up some of the Adobe arrows and putting them in your quiver, like you know Sensei and things like that? Yeah, actually, a lot. When we first started doing this stuff, right, the cool thing about Magento was the the thing that really drove it was the 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 community right all the development that came from everywhere and it was awesome but it was also super unreliable like on, on how it would come in you know it'd be like magento 2 is coming it's still coming it's still coming you know and now with adobe they're really kind of locked into the actual release cycles that you can count on and and now it's you know it's it's hard for the community to to do things faster than adobe can and so the new tool sets coming up with Sensei, Sensei and you know, Visual Search and you know, all the other tools that they're coming out with now kind of give it the advantage. It's, it's, I think it's really pretty cool. The stuff's pretty powerful too. Like it, the, the cool thing is like a lot of the stuff used to take a long time to set up. Like if you want to do recommended products, like they're pretty manual. You know, they're, they're stuff's pretty smart now. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear you say that because I feel like um, you know other ele- other agencies, you know, the size of Element, you know, are sort of moving towards sort of SaaS or you know, maybe not embracing Adobe as much as uh, Adobe the suite overall. Not you know not discounting Magento, but what what made you guys make that decision versus just saying, hey, let's let's just you know diversify. Well, I mean, it's kind of two things. One, there's so much in the Adobe ecosystem that we feel like it gives our clients an advantage that they didn't have before. You know, like Magento is awesome. It's always been pretty awesome. But now if you can do it with, you know, the backing of something like Adobe, where it really understands, you know, the company really understands user experience, it really kind of understands what the businesses are trying to do across the board. It gives us more reach to be able to solve more problems for our clients and also depth and like understanding and being able to solve the specific ones that we're really good at. So while we're still going to, you know, we're still focused on understanding what big commerce can do and have some builds and still focus on what Shopify and Shopify Plus are all about and, and do some of those as well. But from an overall suite, especially as we move into some of the bigger clients that we're working with nowadays, it just gives more options and it gives us gives a chance to get into the ecosystem. And for us, that just kind of aligned with the, the organizations we were working with and where we want to go. And how have you found sort of the greater Adobe ecosystem? So like for us, for example, you know, we're still very much so in that Magento piece, you know, because we are so e-com focused, you know, the power of, you know, what these things can do outside of it are super interesting. 
but I only look at them from like a technical lens, not from a practicality lens. Well, to an extent practicality, but how have you found that ecosystem? Do you feel like that's blended? Do you feel like that Adobe that kind of exists or how do you find that? It's getting there. Like, um, but from like where the whole environment is going, it's all starting to like really come together. Like, you know, Adobe Experience Manager and Page Builder, you know, all these things are starting to kind of congregate to a point where you start to really take advantage of all the services. And I think it's it's getting there. It's not quite there yet. Services to make it make it more of a unified thing. I feel like they're playing. I, I think of it in some ways of like blackjack. Like they're kind of playing two different hands. They're playing the Adobe Commerce hand and the open source hand. And you know, you can be a little bit more risky on one side than the other. But you gotta, you know. You got to kind of double down every once in a while. And we do like that. That's one of the things for us too. It's a, it's a, you know, we'll do Adobe commerce, you know, we'll do Adobe commerce builds, but we'll also do Magento. Like we'll do open source builds. Um, there's value at that level to certain clients, you know, they don't need all the other bells and whistles, especially if you start adding in things like page builder, dude, that's pretty powerful. Oh Yeah. And so, so what were some of the things, so like one of the things I found the most interesting in like talking to agencies is, you know, like 2020, it was a bubble for everybody. It was a vacuum and, you know, not to talk about like all that, but like what I'm always curious about is like, what's a different practice that you guys walked out of 2020 with? Like what's something that, you know, elements doing different now that you guys weren't doing before? Well, for us, it's going remote, honestly, it's being, you know, being like, you know, a human element, it was always like, I used to say, we, we kind of come in and did it the old fashioned way. We come in and stare at each other, you know, and like literally look at each other and, you know, culture is super important to us that we, and so going remote and hiring remote employees was a risk. We didn't know if we could maintain our culture that we really want to foster and have be part of us, you know, part of who we are, we're human element for a reason, you know, and it forced us to, it forced us to figure that out. You know, we, we went in on a Friday and we're like, Oh, okay, well, we're going to try and do this and say, make sure we can all do remote. And we haven't been back since <laughs> it, but it opened up a lot of things for us. You know, it opened up new, new talent, you know, it doesn't have to, folks don't have to beat in Ann Arbor. Yeah. So we're hiring people all over the place. One of our developers moved from Ann Arbor to Austin. So he's now in your backyard, but from the culture side, we also had to like, we took it serious. Like, we did intentional things to make sure we could still maintain our culture. Okay, talk about us some of those because this is, you know, this is something that you know, you know, Human Element, Shipper HQ, and there's a few other, you know, we're smaller companies compared to the people who we play with, and I think that the culture allows us to be small but mighty. Like, you know, I always tell people headcounts, not, you know, what drives me at the end of the day. And, you know, if we wanted a hundred employees, you could have it, but you're, I could do it with more with 65. So like talk to me about your culture and talk to me about some of the ways you preserved it. Cause I'm super interested in that. Yeah. For us, like, you know, do the right thing. It's, it's cheesy, but it's really is core to who we are. You know, it's not do the right thing by human element. It's not do the right thing by the customer. It's not the customer's always right. It's you're an adult. This is a complex situation. Understand the variables that go into it and make smart decisions that are in the best interest of everybody because we're all in this together. We also do a thing on Slack where uh, we use an app that pings people and puts them together for random conversations. We do that. We have random coffees. We do that. Uh, we used to do it every week, but then we moved it to every other week. And in culture, no thing is going to work for everybody. So you just have to try a lot of things. And some of them are going to stick. Some people really dove into the bingo thing because they just like getting new checking off boxes there's other people that really like to get into kind of like a deeper conversation that's going on in the organization about strategy you know and you have to find the places and times for that but it's again it's about being intentional 
one of the things that we did on like so one of the things that we do as a company and i don't know if you know this is on fridays everyone gets off at 1 p.m company-wide everybody like from top to bottom bottom to top and that was one of the ways is because we felt we were doing too much and then we didn't feel like we ran out of the ideas but the thought was is would people rather spend you know a few more hours like with me like us as a company or with like their family. But, you know, people come back Mondays, I feel more, more energized because they get just, you know, a few more hours of nothing. So a particular question about scaling for you guys then. So how did you guys find training? We set up those types of things intentionally. Like, so new hires have interviews with me and with Ben and with Jason and the rest of the leadership team to, to kind of have a chance to say, you know, here's our, mission, vision, and values. Here's what our organization stands for. Here's what I look for from sales. And here's what I look for from clients. And here's our contract structure. And so we kind of, again, it's about being intentional. You can't just leave that stuff to chance. And our HR team has done a great job with that, you know, and make sure that we're all kind of sharing the information together that way. Oh yeah. I think that's, that's well said. That was one of the, that I think was the hardest thing for us because, you know, we, we're, we're not a write things down company and like certain things and we have processes things are documented, but you know, when you're, you know, small and bootstrapped, you don't always have the time to write things down. So that was, that was our, that was our biggest, biggest struggle of 2020 was like just the, you know, we went on a hiring freeze. So we're, we're right about 70 right now. And we went on a hiring freeze for a quarter just so we could get everyone bedded down. But it was like, time out. Everyone just time out. Let's all just figure (laughs) out how to do our jobs and get super productive. And then we're going to go do the hiring thing again, but just like time out and, it was the best decision I ever made. Yeah, I, I can I can understand. We're about fifty five, I think, as of oh, this yeah. week. Oh, that's so, awesome, man! Congrats yeah, on that. Lots of growth, and yeah, it's a lot. We've also like from the structure standpoint, you have to adapt. You know, mm-hmm. the other thing that keeps kind of the teams, or we're hoping at least, you know, it's a new change for us that keeps the teams kind of united and working together. Is as we grow, we keep the teams small. Mm-hmm. And so essentially, you know, instead of just having where somebody comes in and works with us, they work with a PM and the PM chucks it over the fence to a giant resource pool of people who just execute mm-hmm. a ticket and come back. We actually kind of still create those small teams. So it's still a, a PM, a tech, you know, the QA team and the, all together. Love that. And then they understand the client inside and out, right? So they still have that boutique feel, but you still have the depth of the bench of still all those mm-hmm. other 50 people behind you. So that people can take vacations and can do all that kind of stuff. But when you call your PM, you're going to get an answer or you're going to be able to talk directly with your tech lead and they're going to know what's going on. See that I, I love like the, the clusters or the, the groupings. Yeah. I think, I think it's a powerful, especially from the agency, the agency side, like per customer, because you know, our customer bases aren't the same. We don't have that many assigned resources to customers, but like, right. I love that model. And I think that, you know, us working as closely with agencies, when you see people doing that, where it's, you know, next man up can come up or, Hey, this person could have the question too. There's not that linchpin. It makes things like uh, website launches so much easier, which I know you had two last week. Yeah. Uh, You're, you're here, you made it. Uh, How'd they go? What, what, what were you launching? Anything fun? Anything you can talk about? I I don't know if I can say the names yet, um, but they're out, but yeah, like we've had, we've had a lot of launches this year. Um, love that man. What was your favorite one this year that you can talk about? (laughs) Uh, So for us, like the big ones this year, we launched the new accessory site for Ford. So Ford accessories that Ford.com and Ford accessories for Lincoln. We also last week launched warriors in pink, which is the new, you know, Magento two or Adobe commerce version of their, uh, breast cancer awareness and donation site. 
Oh, wow. Uh, the do- how was that donations piece? It was, you know, it's, it's interesting how they're set up um, mm-hmm. in that there's a percentage of the product sale that goes to the donation. So it's not specifically taking donations. They're selling product in a percentage of the Got it. Okay. proceeds and out to hundred percent basically of the, mm-hmm. of the profit goes to your own particular charity that you want to choose. There's four different ones. And it's kind of one of the unique things about it is like you make a purchase and it's actually which charity do you want the donation to go to? Wow, that's that. really cool. It reminds me of in Austin, whenever like, like two or three years ago, all the ri- big ride shares, Uber and Lyft got kicked out um, because they didn't want to do background checks. And there was a company called Ride Austin that stood up and it's a nonprofit and they're still around and they still, and they still run. And I use them every once in a while, uh, whenever I go, you know, go places anymore, but when you did yeah. and you get to choose <laughs> what, uh, charity your money goes to. And it was just the cool, like the, to have the option to be like, you know, I want my money to go to the battered women's shelter. Or I want it to go to the yeah. humane society. It was such an interesting additional touch of like an experience to say like I'm giving whatever portion of proceed to this person. Well, and especially like it's such a personal site, like it's a personal thing. You know, this is for me, honestly, it's personal. Uh, the first time we built the site was when my mom was actually passing away from breast cancer. Um, so it has kind of a personal meaning to me, too. And so like when people are on the site, you want to have that real connection. And you know, what's and, important of the customer experience of that then? So what what sort of drew, drew inspirations or how do you how do you channel that from like a from an agency perspective? Yeah, well, we've got good partners. So mm-hmm. we worked with a Ford agency along with us. Um, but you know, the main focus is telling the story, right? It's like, where do the proceeds go? You know, they have a thing that's like more good days. It's like for people who are actually going through this stuff, it's not just sometimes it's okay just send flowers. Sometimes you know those things are good. Like give somebody a ride. You know, just the little things to help people have a little bit more of a good day uh, and focus on those things. And then when you're buying, you know, you can select whether you want it to go for Race for the Cure for Coleman or, you know, the Pink Fund or whichever one it is. So you can actually kind of take that personal thread all the way through to who you're actually donating it to at the end. That's that's such a such a unique use case, but such a great you know story and like way to stitch that together. It, it's a cool project. It's been it's been all you guys do is cool projects. And was there ever a time where you looked at potentially moving, like replatforming to another platform, or was Magento always kind of the framework that you wanted to stay within? Uh, Magento was always the framework. Actually, Adobe was always the framework. What? So when you're thinking, so what do you consider to be a good customer experience on a website from like a merchant's perspective? So you know, we talk to merchants about shipping, and we talk about the cart and checkout experience, yeah. but. What do you see is like the key points for a website overall? Like what, what do you hold and like, what does your company hold like near and dear? I think it depends on what you're doing. Because I think as much as there's the kind of like coming together of B2B and B2C, mm-hmm. the, the focus is different, you know, it, it, for, for us, it's about matching the user experience to what the person's trying to do at the time right. they're trying to do it, you know? And so if, you know, time on site is a fun example. Like for a brand site, time on site could be a great metric, right? Because mm. the more they're interacting with you, the better. On a B2B site, if you're buying flanges and you just want to buy your flanges, time on site is an annoyance. Like they want to place their order and move on. And so really it's about understanding like what's the driver behind the people coming to your site? What do you, what the, what's the experience you want them to have? And then steering them in that direction. You know, there's no kind of right answer there's no kind of like there's no yeah so what about everybody should have so let me give you an example then so let's let's say i'm a d2c website and i do uh 
let's just say fashion. So it's, you know, higher end fashion, you know, clothing, Shopify is my platform. I don't have the warehouses. I'm not shipping it. I've got it at uh, ShipBob, for example. What would you say would yep. be an important thing for that site? Telling your story and getting the brand experience, like personalization. Like how is their brand and how is this experience relevant to me right now? Right. It's because everybody's going to, everybody can do, everybody can put up a t-shirt right. site. You know, everybody can put up a t-shirt, Shopify t-shirt site pretty quick. How, why, right? Why? And so creating that either unique story, unique offering, unique message. And then how are you going to get it to them, right? I think everybody's super pre-programmed now with all of us with our prime accounts. Like if it's not going to be in two days, what, yep. <laughs> what am I doing? Right. And so making sure that people understand once they get to the site, how they're going to get all the way through it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's to first get them hooked, tell them the story. Why are they here? Why are you different? Why should I buy from here instead of Amazon? Right. And then making sure they understand that this process is going to be as easy as it would be or as it it would be on Amazon or something like, you know, on another platform. So you want to drive them in, get them hooked, tell them the message and then make sure they understand how quickly they can get through the process and how quickly are they going to get their product and what the experience is going to be when they get it. We talked about human element before, and I know the story, but can you go into that a little bit? Because I know it's a bunch of musicians sure. that like to play music <laughs> and like to and like to dabble on keyboards for a bit. So how did how did how did Human Element get started? So Human Element started with Ben Lorenz and Jason McGee, and Ben and Jason have been in a band together since I think they were thirteen, and they've known each other basically their whole lives. Crazy. Um, and so they were actually touring musicians for a long time, I think for about six years um, and just kind of doing that. And they still do, you know, that's part of what, when they created human element, the idea is that be awesome outside of work so that when you come into work, you're awesome. Right. So do whatever you do outside of work is who you are. And when we do like initial conversations with people, I'm always like, what makes you a human? Like, Mm -hmm. sure. We all come to work every day and we all do the thing, but what's the thing that makes you tick? Right. And so I think that's really what Ben and Jason wanted to create was a company where people could be humans and translate technology in a way that people could use it. And so it has that we all have a lot of hobbies. It, for some reason, we all there's a lot of musicians at Human Element. And I think it comes down to nonverbal communication. Mm-hmm. When you're working with a bunch of musicians or athletes or people who've done team sports, there's a thing where, you know, if, if I'm a quarterback, I don't kind of tell my wide receiver to run deep when I see a safety up. I give them kind of like, like right. eyebrow raise and a head nod, right? And same when you're playing music. It's not like you're in a, you're playing a jazz piece. It's not like, hey, Quentin, play the solo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> so I'm going to, you know, take my, take my clarinet out of my mouth and be like, Ryan, you're flat. <laughs> right. Ryan, you're slow. Right. You just kind of go like, oh, okay, this is where we are. I got to do my piece now. And I think that's really what we look for in people is like, and look like that's what helps human element grow is we look for that like ability to understand and communicate with other people. It sounds like a, an easy thing, but it's amazingly hard in our environment. It's my, my favorite thing. And I don't know if I've ever told you this is I remember uh, like six years ago, the first imagine I went to, I was tasked like, you know, go around, talk to the agencies, meet people. Yeah. And one of the times I saw somebody from human element and I went back and I asked, I can't remember who this was. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to like, I'm gonna have to like sit and think about this. But I was like, have you ever heard of human element? They're like, yeah, yeah. Those guys are cool. It's like, they play music, uh, they <laughs> drink beer and they make really kick-ass websites. And I was like, 
Yeah. Yeah, I'll take that. And I, I, I can't remember who that was, but it was, it was a fellow tech partner that was like what they said. And I was like, that's better than some of the things you said about other companies. So yeah, that's <laughs> what well, we want to like. It's serious. Like I, like I, I'm a culture guy. Like, Oh yeah. I, we both are. Background. It's that's like, yeah. that's why we and I get along is that's why it's so right. important. And so it's like, you have to find people that can, can keep that culture going and you have to make, be able to make decisions when they're not, you know, they, not everything is awesome. An awesome culture fit. Not everything goes great. And you have mm-hmm. to be able to recognize it and make decisions and, and be able to move because the culture is the important part. What we're doing and how we all interact together is the important part. We're, we've got to do our, you know, it helps us do our best for our clients mm-hmm. and do the other things, but we've got to understand where we're all coming from, what we're all trying to accomplish and kind of at the end of the day, what makes us tick to get us, to get us moving. And how often are these massive agencies just trying to like kick down y'all's doors and be like, Hey, let us consume you and we'll never touch you. And we'll <laughs> let you do your thing, but we need your expertise. Uh, it's a thing you, guys are, you guys are a rare breed right now, a sort of independent. Yeah, it is. Like, yeah, there's not a whole lot of independent agencies out there anymore like us. Yeah, it happens. We like when it happens. It's, um, it's always right nice. Now, it's nice to feel wanted. But I think, I think for you guys, for you guys, I think that it would be a detriment. Like, I think that it's it's so it's kind of the same thing with us. It's like our freedom gives us control. It's hard. It's always the things you you, you contemplate, right? Is as, as you figure out how to do the next step. Mm-hmm. Like, what is? How do we get to the next piece? You know, we we want to be bigger than we are today, and and we want to be able to do what we're doing for more people. And how how do we get there? How do we continue to grow? And right now, for us, it's keep kicking ass, drinking beer, and making great websites. I mean, <laughs> I, I might I might ask Jen to change her tagline. But hey, it's all it's all yours. Somebody might come out of the woodworks and be like, "That's what I told somebody about human element many years ago." <laughs> So what, so, you know, we're getting close to the time where people need to start thinking about Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And I love y'all's newsletter that y'all put together. It's one of the few I have to like my actual personal shipper HQ email address. I have a couple, I have like a newsletter one that I have y'all's. And I'm always thankful that you guys feature us, but you know, what are you guys, what are you guys looking for for Black Friday, Cyber Monday? Are you guys going to put together like a, a, an an article you guys released? If you released something already, you've been in a marketing meeting today. Maybe. Yeah. Like, That's why I couldn't get my mic to work. I tapped yours. <laughs> I was on the phone with NSA it. trying to unwire all this stuff. We discussed it today. Like it's it's holiday planning time. It really is. Like it's silly, but really, but if it's, you want to make any changes, it's not at the same time. time. It's super important. Like we're talking right. about you know getting our shipping stuff together because if you don't do it now, then you're not going to have time in two months. Yeah, and so we're talking. We're having the same conversations. Like, hey, let's do let's do a SWOT analysis on your site. You know, let's do you know, an SEO review, let's do the things that, you know, let's get Sensei in there so we can get product recommendations in there for holiday. Let's do these extra little things that are getting ready because, you know, it's not going to take much time before everybody's, you know, in code freeze or not really wanting to do a whole lot of things right into holiday. So now's the time to plan and start doing the things. Can you, can you give me an example? So Sensei around like recommendations, can you, can you give me an example of like, because I think this is great because people talk about that, but like, so what's a practical use of that? Like, how could how could a customer listening to this on Magento say, "I need to contact Human Element, or I need to talk to my developers to get this enabled"? Visual product search is the thing that keeps coming back to me, and we're doing a lot more with B two B these days, mm-hmm. and especially in industrial manufacturing. Right. Um, and the use case to me is, and they're not they're not fun to talk about. They're not like the thing that you put on the front of your website, but we do a lot of flanges. 
Um, and you know, <laughs> I learned what a bollard was because we, I didn't realize that was a thing, but we have a lot of bollard sites. Apparently those, those are those things, the concrete tubes that are like outside target. So you can't drive your car into those are called oh, bollards. Didn't know that. Never did either. I learned a thing. What were, it was visual what search on flanges. Yeah. Visual search. Like, like, I think that's where like finding, you know, using the, the high end tools to say, Adobe, go find me all other product that look like this. Right. Right. And being able to say, here's a picture. Like I'm in my factory floor. I need this part. How do I search for it? Right. And being able to do that kind of visual search or, or say, you know, if you're apparel company, you know, you're, you're looking at, you know, blue and some other color t-shirt or shirt, you know, and instead of just showing you other shirts of your exact size, it could actually show you other ones with the exact same color type patterns. Wow. Um, and match it on that type of thing. And so it actually will scan your images and create the likes. It's not something you have to do. Wow. Um, and so that's really where the power of all this stuff comes in is that the AI does the learning for us. And so you have to link out to the system and you kind of you bring it in. But then it, it really can do cheesy. But the AI machine, machine learning stuff that we all thought it was going, things were going to be doing, it's doing those things. So like instead of going through and tagging your site by, mm -hmm. by hand, you can have it crawl it and do it. And so the how fast those things are adapting and changing and how to use them are just going to get more and more. The use cases are just going to grow and grow. When do you think that AI is going to be like industry standard? So like when, you know, when you think of an e-com site, you know, obviously there's, you know, the, it'll be like the nav bar. Like you have to have a nav bar. You have to have the AI. Like how far away do you think we are from that? I think every site, like uh, I bet you 50% of the sites are running some sort of AI already. You think you so? Know, you look at different, all the different things that are out there, all the different marketing, you know, the, all the different marketing services tools and all the you know i guess it is true as you start thinking through that there's 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 an element of machine learning and everything yeah and so it's really starting to like it's just happening like i think it's going to be a point where you're going to be like what of my site is not machine learning now yeah it's happening really quick and i think that's one of the things that's it's hard to predict with with the ai and the machine learning is what what's it going to figure out so speaking of predictions, so I want to know, so 2020 was the year of BOPIS and learning from chaos of shipping, or sorry, yeah. of COVID and shipping and all being crazy. 2021 was about sort of adapting some of that belt and bracing to make it some of its standard practice. What do you, what do you see going for 2022? Like what, where do you see e-commerce brands going to, to, to put online or what do you see as the next big shift? I think it's going to be that it's weird. It's hard to like say personalization and have it mean a real thing. Cause it's right. been, everybody's been saying personalization for years and years and years, you know, originally it was like a user group that was customization. They were personalization. And then it was, you know, buyer groups or personalization. I think you'll get more and more of that just kind of one, you're going to have to shift from the cookie environment to a cookie list environment right, and yeah. still be able to provide those, provide that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that's, I don't know. I don't know exactly where everybody's going in 2022. I think honestly, it might be a settle in type year where people say 2020, I had to get my e-commerce stuff up and going right away. 2021, I figured out what the heck I actually just did. Uh, and 2022 might be measuring and refining um, from there. And we actually see, from a from a market standpoint where it's going mm -hmm. like i think 
the the B2C channels are maturing. There's not much differentiation in the market between the platforms, between right. the sites. Everybody's got access to AI. Everybody's got access to machine learning and all the different platforms. Where I think things are going to really make the biggest changes on the B2B side. I right. think we're focused on industrial manufacturing, honestly, because I feel like the B2C tools lead the way, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're cool. You can get agencies to do them. You can get new use. You can get B2C. You can get new customers and that kind of stuff. You can develop all the tools in that. Now that B2C or B2B is actually starting to come up through that wave, they can utilize all of those tools that were developed for 100%. B2C. 100%. And now we're at the point where we can say, hey, I know you've been working on an AS400 backend and a WordPress site and your sales reps have been doing all the work, but we can do this a different way. You know, you can actually have an e-commerce operation. You can have personalization. You can have your reps actually buying for folks online and seeing past orders and doing all the stuff that is basics in B2B in b2c land Mm -hmm. but is 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 new in b2b land or is you know not everybody's implemented that stuff yet and so really see a real growth in the industrial side of the b2b side of how to how do they get into the same game right because more and more they're getting into direct to consumer Mm -hmm. as well and so what do you what do you credit that innovation to do you think b2b is being pulled to that or do you think that so my so my guess is so I, i have a degree in industrial engineering i don't know if you know that Um, so that's what I studied in college. So I have some friends that are, you know, around my age and they're getting into positions of authority in these companies and they're starting to kind of like make changes and be like, guys, nobody likes to do this. Just, just asking the question why we're doing this. Like I have a friend who's climbing the ranks at this polymer company because all he keeps saying is why. And that's that's what he says. I'm like, you're doing great, man. You're killing it. What are you doing? He's like, I just keep, I just keep asking why on everything. And people are just like, well, that's just how it is. So I'm curious to know, like, what's the lens that you see it to? You know, you guys focus on that. You guys also do beautiful B2C sites. What do you, what's the pull? We we see on the, on the B2B side, we see the same thing. And like, we honestly, sometimes it's like a Tommy boy type situation, (laughs) you know, where it's like, that's the way we've always done it. The sun comes in and says, that's the way we've always done it, but he can't quite do it the same way. And then the next round of buyers are coming in going, I don't want to do any of that. Um, And so we're seeing that we're seeing the the next wave come in the the old buying behaviors of call my rep, go to dinner, go play golf, go do other stuff. And then I'll get to my order. Isn't what the buyers want today 100 you know you know we I'm implemented buying... delivery date and time on a on a freight carrier because somebody was like i want when somebody orders my pallets for it to be exactly like it is when they order one of my uh, carabiners and so we implemented like our full amazon style delivery date for an ltl carrier because that's the experience he wanted it to provide and i was shocked because they were offline you know two or three years before but a younger you know not to say older people you know you can teach old dogs new tricks yeah. younger guy came into power and said I-, I don't like to buy like this so why should my buyers buy like that and it's one of those interesting things it's just if you look at it from an introspective position b2b is just really still untapped in some ways yeah and it's a lot like, and it is, it's a lot of the kind of the next generation coming in saying, I don't want to do it that way. They want to buy just like they bought everything else today. They don't want to have to go into a terminal or call their rep or, you know, they want to click the button and say, yep, buy all my filters again. My favorite, my, I think my favorite one was we had a customer B2B coffee company and we said, well, how do you guys take LTL orders? They're like, well, they call the number and Suzette looks at a chart 
and then Suzette tells you how much it costs. And I said, okay. And they're like, Suzette's on this call. And I said, Suzette, do you like doing that? And she just kind of was like quiet for a second. And then, uh, I would, cause we at, so before that, like she knew that we were an automating software that was going to like yeah. automate it. And she says, Suzette, do you like doing that? She goes, I like to keep my job. And I said, well, what if your <laughs> job wasn't doing that? We did that and you did something else. And she was like, okay, you can keep talking then. And I was like, all right, here we go. <laughs> but it was just the funniest thing. Cause it's just that disruptiveness of the takeaway of this is you just need to ask why for everything is why are we doing that? Yep. Especially, especially if you've been doing that same thing for a long time. Oh yeah, that's, that's so. All right, it's... so I'm gonna turn the tables on you. What are you seeing, like from where are you seeing the market? Where are you seeing the big innovation coming from? Kind of what's pushing things? I think that you know one of the big things. Obviously, 2020 was buy online, pick up in store, alternative pickup locations. That was that was a yeah. big one. So that and I think that's something that's really been here to stay. You know, we're seeing. You know, last year during COVID, we gave that feature away for free to anyone who wanted to use it, regardless of what plan they were on, because we were just trying to help keep the lights on for any company that wanted it. Yeah. After that, after that time lapsed, we saw a lot of people, it was over 50% kept it on, the people who actually turned it on. So it's become a part of their routine. I think the next piece of like to be sort of, I wouldn't say, I don't know if I'm gonna say disrupted, because I feel like that word is now being used too much, but I think yeah. it's returns. Because I think people are buying stuff more freely because they have the idea of like, for example, you can go drop off an Amazon package at a Kohl's. And I think that other people are going to start kind of following suit on that is they're going to start to see more partners with maybe somebody like CVS or some, you know, somebody with a lot of locations. I could see somebody doing like a, being like a returns aggregator. And if nobody's doing that, that's our idea. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know. I think you're probably right because I think it's also one of the things that's hardest to do in a lot of the platforms a hundred percent exactly it's, it's and a pain just in get the ass. right like there nobody never have i walked in and said okay we're going through all the stuff for the build how's your rma process nobody's going like it's nailed we exactly. got it down to a we T use and x and y works and here's our yeah. return no it never happens. it's we don't do it and we tell accounting you know, yeah, because or... that's the thing is everyone always shirts it to the they sweep another rug. The one company that I think has done returns the most interestingly, so Jenny Splendid Ice Cream up in Columbus, Ohio. I think they have a location in Ann Arbor. You, if I don't know if Ooh, you've had Jenny's, I haven't, it's amazing. So it's a big down. so they're a big commerce site and they ship ice cream. And what they do is they ship the ice cream in a box with a with a, a cooler and dry ice in it, and they put a return label in there because they want the cooler back. So, hey, yeah. ship it back if you want it, or if you want to keep it cooler for some reason, you can keep it. And I've never seen such a slick return policy or just returns as they do because it's it's a part of the cycle because it's part of their product. But, like, yeah. it's not adaptable to everything, but just to see how somebody was thinking about it differently because they are making money back off that because it's coming back to them. So if people could think about, you know, reusing things like that, I think I think returns is is prime for something coming up. Yeah, and it can be. I mean, that can be a pretty, just pretty big differentiator on a user experience too. 100%. You know, especially if you're, you know, from a apparel standpoint, you know, just I'm going to buy it on Prime because I know I can just return it. You know, exactly. or if I can have that same experience and know I can just return it at whatever thing I'm buying it from, then that alleviates the tension of why shouldn't I just go to Amazon? The one, the one thing I can say, and I've learned this and I've been thinking about this more and more as I was moving. So we bought a bunch of furniture online and I kept on saying, what's the return policy on this? Because we're to get cumulatively, uh, my partner and I, we are indecisive. 
And separately, we're very decisive, but together, I don't know what it is. I think it's because we both make decisions all day at work when we get together. I'm like, Jocelyn, can you please make this decision? She's like, no, can you? But you think about that because you think, okay, so like Ruggable is a great example. So they're a D2C rug company. They have an amazing return policy. If you don't like the rug, you just bring it to FedEx and they just take it back off your hands. And like, I guarantee you that I made a lot of our decisions on higher, you know, buying end tables because who can return this if we don't like it? And it was an absolute godsend because you get it you're like maybe this isn't exactly what you want you tell the company and one of them said hey it's 50 bucks a piece to, to pick them back up and that's like okay cool i'm not stuck with them but like right. because they're thinking about that piece of the journey amazing especially now that i can't just like if we're starting to but like couldn't just go into the store and try it out 100 you know? yeah you can't you can't go feel it touch it like the especially with you know larger home goods or things like that or you know higher end items you know people you know if you're buying your first I don't know, Louis Vuitton purse or something like that. You, if you can't go to the store, you want to feel it and touch it. What if it doesn't feel right. the, what if it doesn't make you feel the right way? Like you, right. well, you want to be able to get rid of it. It's a luxury item. Yeah. How do I, yeah. How do I, I think, how, how have you seen people doing it? Well, you, you mentioned, you know, Jenny's ice cream, but it's a, it's I think, a tough I, thing to catch. I, I think Jenny's does it well. I, I I'm, I don't think I, I can't think of anybody such like I think Ruggable is yeah. really the person on my head who's really nailed it because they've made it a part of it because they know that you're decorating a room or you're redoing something or a workspace and there's options there and things come and go. So just they have great flexibility. I think people that have brick and mortar stores as well that you can just return it to the brick and mortar like crate yeah. and barrel. All my examples are going to be about buying <laughs> like random stuff. But you know, we bought a plate set of crate and barrel ended up not being the color we wanted and you just go and you return it and like to not have to ship it off. So if you have the brick and mortar locations, I think it's great. That's why I think if somebody partnered with, you know, like a CVS or somebody nationwide with a, with a really strong routing, well, they could change it. We'll see, you know, maybe that's coming. Adobe and Walmart signed an agreement together. That's true. That's very and, interesting. And Walmart, to get into the Walmart distribution network. And I wonder if that also can provide a network for that. Here's you know, the, here's, here's my out? real idea of, well, so I've been thinking about returns lately. So I think if you yeah. did the aggregation, what a company could do is instead of like, let's say for example, like uh, American Eagle, the clothing company, Instead of saying American Eagle, we're going to send you back all these packages. We'll give you X. We'll, we'll, you know, let's say it's a twenty dollars shirt. We'll give you eight bucks for it. You know, it's already shipped out. You don't have to take it back, re-put it into your warehouse, recount or anything like that. So you get these items on the cheap, and then you become your own marketplace. Mm-hmm. All right, write that one down too. That would, that's, that, that's, that's that's that is my like that was the idea I was thinking about the other day with returns because I just I think thought like pretty good. People, because so like we have a package, we have a package room in our building, and everyone just throws these packages in the corner, and someone's gonna come pick them up eventually. And you just think, man, you could you could buy these from these things for pennies on the dollar because they don't want them back. Like ideally, they right. don't want them back because I have to you know, stock it again or I have exactly. to put it in the warehouse, and it's probably out of season. No, somebody comes and grabs it. It's 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 like a Storage Wars American picaresque e-commerce play is what I'm going for. <laughs> I'd watch that. Exactly. Well, you're the co-host. So what, what do you mean? Watch it. You're in it. Just taking back random, random returns. It's just like it's just like opening a locker. Exactly. I, I there, there's there's definitely some there. Uh, lockers, I think, as well, are going to be picking up steam. So, like in Europe and in uh, England and in Australia, lockers are big. I used yeah. a locker the other day, and it was awesome. Like it was such an easy experience. Type in six codes. The door opens. Grab my item. Close the door. 
on my way. Didn't have to have any weird small talk with anybody unless I wanted to. Awesome. Yeah, that's one, that's one of the things Ben's been been eyeballing too. He sees as, as a as a big thing coming forward is the lockers. Not only not only on the B two C side, but on the B two B side, even just 100%. kind of checking out equipment. You know, like rather than just all, all the tools being out in random places or all the, the audio equipment being in random places, you can just check it out. What do you think What do you think is going to happen to brick and mortar? Do you think there's going to be a resurgence or do you think it's going to be restructured? Well, I wish I knew. I can't tell. I think we're right at that moment to figure out, are people going to rebound and rebound to be much more in person than they were before? Or are we all going to kind of figure out that, you know what? kind of like my home office they don't mm. like to go in all the place all the time and and maybe brick and mortars will have to adapt to to becoming you know more brick and mortar local delivery um rather than you know just as they are i think also labor shortage may play into this i think that's another big piece valid, that we're, we're facing point. we're facing in michigan just like people to work restaurants people to work retail like it's going to be harder and harder to get that. So it's just going to pour, force more things to the digital experience. We have the exact same problem in Austin. I think it's a nationwide thing. You know, the the gig economy is you know not it's competitive. Like you got to want to wait yeah. tables because that place will pay you more than two thirteen an hour to do it, opposed right. to anywhere else. So it's an interesting thing. I, I'm kind of thinking it's going to go to more of like a showroom. I think that yeah. it'll be like it'll be like a testing ground. You can decide, hey, we have a few in the back that we can give it to you. If not, we'll you know we'll get one to you the next day. I also think we'll see for the brick and mortars that won't go anywhere, like grocery, like mm-hmm. Costco, and I think we'll see a reorganization of those stores. You should you should check out H E B. That's our local. It's a Texas grocery chain. They, yeah. I truly think they have nailed the omni-channel experience. Like they have, like they've partnered with Instacart. They have done, they have well, done phenomenal. Think, and pretty sure it's a Magento website too. And they have absolutely crushed it. Yeah, because I think the purpose of those places are changing. Mm-hmm. It's not where I go shop anymore. It's where the Instacart shopper goes. And exactly. so, rather than putting the milk and the eggs in the back, where I have to walk through the whole store, mm-hmm. I'm not buying extra stuff. I'm buying the stuff on the list and more and more of the shoppers are going to be personal shopper type things that I think that you'll see reorganizations of the stores where some of those old buying tricks may not work as well because really what they're trying to do is get those people in and out uh, yeah, now exactly. faster than they are getting to linger around and buy more bread. I had one of those moments where I was in a grocery store a couple of weeks ago and somebody was getting, it was like some condiments. So it was a sauce. And I kind of was eyeing it, and I was like, oh, that sounds – it was like some kind of hot sauce. I was like, oh, it looks pretty good. Yeah. And somebody walked by and grabbed it. I was like, hey, is that any good? The guy's like, I don't know, man. I'm just shopping for someone else. And just like kept it moving. And I just thought, man, that's yeah. so weird to just be like grabbing yeah. stuff that you're not going to like eat or taste. It's like, oh, this is just an item. Yeah, it's, it's just a warehouse picker. They're just warehouse yeah, pickers exactly. at, at, at a commercial spot. And I feel like that's going to change. I feel like the stores will become more warehousey. They'll become faster shopping, more convenient because if I was looking for – for you know wide variety of product i'd be online i'm looking for something fast and now because that's why i'm here i think i think it's i think it's very very well said i'll leave you with this i have one last question of the e-commerce platforms that you guys don't partner and work with which one do you have your eye on the closest like which one are you which one is which one's in the tickler file yeah there's two actually that i've kind of got an eyeball on one we we had a part we've had a partnership for a while and we've done some work with, but they just went public. Um, that's Vtex. Yeah, that's a platform that's been growing mm-hmm. and growing and growing. I think there's there's more there. We should um, sell them so, our marketplace idea for returns. 
there we go. They, they might buy it. <laughs> They've got the money now. That's for sure. I mean, <laughs> I, what about, have you looked at cart.com at all? You know, I, okay. Cart.com. I haven't looked at cart.com. The one, the other one that I'm kind of looking at is just trying to figure out exactly what they're going to do is optimizely because optimizely bought Epi. Right. And they've been making a push. So like, that's another one, like of the, you know, the big three, you know, Adobe commerce, Shopify and big commerce. Right. I think of the next ones coming along. I think those are the ones VTEX and, and now optimizely the ones that I've got my eye on at least. VTEX definitely interesting. That's a, that's a really good pick. I, uh, cart.com just acquired a three PL down here in Austin Ooh. and they bought AmeriCommerce. Uh, so they're, they're on a buying they're spree. So it's, it's, it's interesting that they're, they're worth a read. You know, it's a interesting company story. So they've, uh, they've come across my desk a few times. Well, uh, past that, Ryan, where can the people get a hold of you and how can they, you sampled some of your wonderful knowledge. How can people get help from human element? You can go to our website at human-element.com or you can e- to, to give out email addresses on this yeah, one yeah. directly. Yeah. So scary number two. E- oh yeah. Cool. I'll, I'll send up a, uh, a image of my credit card that we can just put in my profile pic. That's uh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to put the, the, the security code on the back or if it's an Amex, yeah. that'd be well, preferable because it's one photo. It's just the sure. numbers on the front. You. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so actually, you can email me at rmuir, R-M-U-I-R, at human-element.com. Awesome. Ryan, it is always a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on Commerce Party. You too. Thanks for having me, and it's great talking to you again.